You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Welcome to the Future of Work podcast from allwork.space. I'm Jo Mernier, and today I'm looking forward to speaking with Faye McGuinness, Head of Workplace Wellbeing Programs at mental health charity Mind. Mind works to improve the lives of people with experience of mental health problems by providing advice and support, as well as campaigning to, to improve services, raise awareness and promote understanding of mental health. Now more than ever, our well-being is under the spotlight as we adapt to living and working during the coronavirus pandemic which for some means strict lockdown rules or even self-isolation. And also here in the UK this week, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. So all things considered, we've got quite a lot to talk about. So welcome, Faye, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start. Firstly, since you joined MIND in 2015, uh, could you share some of the wellness programmes you've implemented during your time there or that you've implemented elsewhere? Yes, absolutely. So since my time at Mind, um, I have been taking the lead on some of our really sort of large, uh, large scale workplace wellbeing programs. So I came into Mind actually to develop and deliver a program called Blue Light Program. And that program was specifically mm-hmm. put in place to support the mental health of people that work within our emergency services. So people across our police services, our fire services, our ambulance trust, and also those people that do the search and rescue role volunteer um, role. Sorry. So, so yeah, so that, that was my first mm-hmm. role at Mind. Um, and then since that time in my role as a head of workplace wellbeing programs, I have led on other programs that have been focused uh, specifically on supporting organisations to think about how they access information about mental health at work. So one of the programmes that I mm-hmm. was funded by the Royal Foundation, and it was the launch of the Mental Health at Work website, which is the first stop for anybody that wants to know anything about workplace well-being. And also mm-hmm. setting up and delivering a programme called Mentally Healthy Universities that's funded by Goldman Sachs. And that's really a programme to look at the whole university community and to really think about how we support both staff mental health, but also student mental health, particularly when we're thinking about the mm. next generation of people coming into our workplaces. Um, so there's been quite a, a few programmes that I've taken the lead off, uh, lead on at Mind, uh, but but more broadly, MIND have a goal of supporting 1 million people to have good mental health at work by 2021. So we deliver a whole range of initiatives to support that goal, um, such as uh, delivering workplace wellbeing training, running MIND's Workplace Wellbeing Index, which is an index of best practice that employers sign up to for us to assess how they are managing mental health in the workplace. And through our range of information and consultancy that we deliver to a range of organisations across a range of sectors. So this is a real key area for MIND um, and we work across all sectors of organisations of all sizes to really support employers to think about how they prioritise employee mental health and wellbeing. Gosh, wow, that's um, that's fantastic. And, and one million people by 2021. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment because um, obviously that ties in really closely with um, the work that we do at allwork.space with relating, uh, in relation to offices um, and the future of work. Um, before we get on to that, I wonder if you could tell me more about the Blue Light program that you were involved with when you uh, first started at Mind. And this is particularly um, important at the moment uh, in light of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and I also understand you're also working on a project called Our Frontline. Uh, can you tell us more about that? 
Yeah, of course. So, yeah, in 2015, um, mind, began gather, uh, mind began gathering evidence on the mental health of staff and volunteers working within the emergency services. And what we found was a mm-hmm. workforce often struggling in silence. Uh, we saw the staff and volunteers mm-hmm. experience more mental health problems than the general workforce, but were less likely to take time off as a result. Um, and we found that almost nine in 10, so 88% of the people that we spoke to at the beginning of the program had experienced stress and poor mental health while working for Blue Light Services. So we knew that we had a workforce here that needed a lot of support. Um, so at MIME, what we, mm. did, we delivered a program between 2015 and 2019. And it was a, you know, it was a really big program. It's very ambitious, but it was really aimed at um, actively reducing stigma within the emergency services, promoting well-being, but also improving the mental health and support of those people working in our emergency services. So we delivered a whole mm. range of interventions. So there was lots of activity around uh, stigma reduction. We did lots of stuff around uh, boosting workplace well-being and line, line manager capability. We did lots of stuff around building resilience, increasing people's access to information. And what we also did is we also um, provided support in response to the Grenfell Tower fire and the terrorist attacks in London and Manchester. So to provide support to those mm-hmm. um, emergency services workers that may have been ex- exposed to those situations and may have been experiencing trauma as a result of that. So we delivered that program over four years and and we saw really significant outcomes as part of that work. So at the end of the program, we looked back at the kind of original scoping findings that we found. And what we saw is that staff and volunteers were much more likely to say that their organisation encouraged them to talk about mental health. So at the start of the programme, it was 29%. But by the end of the programme, 64% of people felt like actually their organisation was encouraging conversations about mental health. Um, and also we saw yeah. people um, who were experiencing um, mental health problems, whether they felt like they were getting the right support. And at the beginning of the programme, 34% of people said yes, by the end, 53% of people. So we started to really see a shift and it really showed that actually if you if you put some dedicated time and resource into really understanding a sector and you actually really co-produce mm-hmm. and work with that sector to develop the interventions that are right for them, you can make a significant change. And so that program mm, continues gosh. to be delivered through our local mine network. Um, we have over 100 local mines across England and Wales, and they continue to work with emergency services at a local level. And then as a result of the COVID-19 situation, you know, we were very aware that there were those on our front line who were uh, who are in their lives at risk um, in terms of going into work and going into their place of, of work to really protect, um, to protect us and, and to make sure that we can still live our lives. And uh, so we are now um, delivering something called Our Frontline, uh, which is a partnership between Mind, the Samaritans, uh, Shout and Hospice UK. And uh, we, we launched mm-hmm. this, um, oh, I think it's about four weeks now, it's gone so quickly. Uh, we launched this, um, <laughs> it provides around the clock, uh, 24 hour mental health support for our NHS workers, our social care workers. Um, our emergency services workers and all other key workers that you know are going into work so our supermarket workers our teachers are all of our other key workers and it provides um, a, a, a call line uh, which is run by the Samaritans so people can call for mental health support it runs mm-hmm. a text service by shout which is a 24-hour text service uh, it runs uh, bereavement support and advice uh, through the the Hospice UK part of the partnership, and then Mind provide all of the online information and resources and toolkits that are tailored to each of those groups. 
in terms of them being able to access mm-hmm. online information. And all of that is hosted um, on uh, ourfrontline.org.uk. Um, and so any key worker mm-hmm. can access that support um, now during, during COVID-19. And, and we're looking to continue that support as we kind of move into the next phase of support and recovery. Lots of different companies and organisations pulling together uh, to, to help people that may be struggling in silence, um, as you said. And you mentioned earlier uh, about stigma. Um, and the stigma that's attached to talking about mental health. Is this one of the main reasons you think why more people don't come forward? Yeah, absolutely. We know we know that there is still a huge amount of stigma that surrounds mental health. Um, and we know that one of the places where people face most stigma is within the workplace. Um, and so we've done a huge amount of work through uh, the Time to Change programme, which is a programme that's run between Mind and Rethink Mental Illness. And it's an anti-stigma campaign that has been running for many years now. And as part of that campaign, we are really starting to see a shift in people's attitudes uh, towards mental health. But mm-hmm. we know that there is still a long way to go. And we know that in the workplace, um, there is still a long way to go. And I think, you know, pre, pre-COVID-19, It was an issue in terms of people feeling like if they were open in the workplace, they would be deemed as not being good enough, um, that they their colleagues would look look at them as if they weren't as as good as them or they couldn't do the job as well. Uh, People were worried about their career progression, you know, the opportunities that they might um, have been, you know, been afforded. They might not if they disclose that they have poor mental health. So we already knew that in the workplace mm. there was a there was a huge amount of self-stigma, but also um, many organizations hadn't yet started to create the culture where it was okay to talk about mental health. And we're seeing that change mm. and we were seeing significant improvements pre-COVID-19. And I think, you know, with, with the COVID-19 situation, it feels like there is a real opportunity here for organisations to really think about the cultures that they create to encourage people to talk about their mental health. And, you know, a recent survey by the the CIPD indicated that the highest number of employers were saying that they were more concerned about their staff's mental health and well-being than actually being concerned about how to respond as a business to COVID-19. So that's, you know, that's amazing. I don't think we would have seen that, you know, five, Mm. ten years ago. Um, I do think in this current situation, particularly with our frontline workers, um, that the hero narrative that we're seeing, which is very well-intentioned, can actually be a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. and it can actually um, cause people to feel like they can't reach out and ask for support because if you're labelled a hero, actually speaking out and saying, you know what, I'm struggling, um, doesn't naturally feel like the thing Mm -hmm. that you want to do. So we are really conscious about this hero narrative and making sure that we are particularly for our frontline and key workers, saying to them, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to not feel yeah. um, well or, you know, you, you don't have to fulfill a hero narrative. You know, it's okay to talk. And so I think, you know, out of this situation, mm. we still really need to think about some of those messages so that we don't keep enforcing that stigma. Um, and actually, it's really interesting that you say that because I'd never really appreciated that that, that maybe this, this hero uh, issue... <laughs> for want of a better word but um as you say it's a double-edged sword um and for those employees or, or key workers or wherever they may be working for those people who are battling with mental health issues um but that work for companies that don't actively support their employees mental health what can what can they do and what can we do to help ourselves in, in if we find ourselves in that situation 
Yeah, I mean, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? Because um, we talk about the role of an employer um, to support employee mental health and well-being. Um, and we know that before COVID-19, we were already facing um, quite an issue in terms of workplace mental health. So back in January this year, uh, Deloitte um, did some really, really interesting research, which indicated that the cost of poor mental health at work to UK employers is £45 billion a year. So there's a, there's a huge cost there already um, in terms of not prioritising mm. mental health in the workplace. And we know that £29 billion pound of that is actually made up of presenteeism. So people being in the workplace but not necessarily being productive as they might be because they're not getting the right support or they're not feeling at their best or seeing people working these really, really long hours, but those hours are not productive. Um, and so in this current situation, mm. we know that our frontline and key workers are obviously working incredibly long hours, doing very, you know, incredibly tough jobs. So for us, we talk about the fact that there is the role of the employer in terms of making sure that the, the culture and environment allows people to reach out and seek support should they need it. Um, it's the employer's role to make sure that uh, the way that they are designing work, the way that they're designing people's um, working patterns is conducive to good mental health. And it's the employer's role to make sure mm -hmm. that managers are equipped to have conversations about mental health. So there's a whole range of things that employers should be taking responsibility for. But equally, we know that as individuals, mm -hmm. as people, we can take responsibility for our own mental health as well and think about the things that keep us well. So we've been talking a lot at the moment, you know, when we're talking to people about how to look after yourself, about some of the things that you could do to um, uh, complete a, a wellbeing action plan. So a wellbeing action plan is something that mm -hmm. you can find on Mind's website and every individual can complete that. And it really helps you to start think about what, what are the things you need to do to keep you well. How might you spot the signs in yourself if you're not feeling very well? Who might you want to talk to? Um, how can your colleagues reach out and help you? And actually at Mind, you know, we share these with our manager. Some of us, you know, are comfortable enough to share them with our colleagues so that it really starts that conversation about your own mental health and how people might spot those signs. So I think everybody should be encouraged to have their own wellbeing action plan. Um, and I think that there are lots of simple things that sound very obvious, but they're obvious because they work and evidence suggests that they work but you know things like making sure that you get plenty of fresh air making sure that you get exercise mm -hmm. where you can making sure that you're eating really well and, and keeping hydrated um mind are currently doing a role in um coronavirus survey to understand the impact on mental health of, of the nation really and what we're seeing is that people are tending to turn to some unhealthy uh, coping um, habits um, and sort of unhealthy eating is one of those um, so I think we just need to be really mindful that there are some that the simple basic things that we do to keep us well when we're maybe not in such busy periods are the things that we really need to focus mm -hmm. on and step up when we're in these periods um, Mind have lots mm. of really useful resources and tools. We have a coronavirus hub on our website. So there is a huge amount of information on there. And I'd really recommend that everybody kind of looks at that to, to kind of understand more about how they can look after mm. themselves. And it's interesting what you said a moment ago about um, making unhealthy choices uh, during these lockdown periods. And here in the UK, for instance, we've had quite a long period of time, about six weeks, where we were told to stay at home and mm. we were only allowed out uh, once a day. That has recently changed a little bit, and we are now allowed out um, a little bit more frequently to exercise. Um, but for a long time, people must have felt 
I was one of them <laughs> and you yourself as well Faye it, it's, it was very easy to feel overwhelmed by that situation and to feel quite claustrophobic to be told to stay in your house not to go out and, and that's quite difficult to deal with particularly when you're trying to carry on as normal trying to do your day job look after your family and so on um, so it, it is a relief that some of these changes are happening but it's um, how long do you think there'll be long-term effects from this period that people may struggle with yeah absolutely I mean I think we went through a period where so if we look at, you know, at Mind, we, we think we've been thinking about the response to COVID-19 in different groups. So we've got a group of people that are currently still working, but they're working from home and they're finding themselves in a completely new working environment. So constantly working from home and mm-hmm. what is the impact uh, currently on their mental health and the long term impact. And then we've got a group of people that are no longer working, whether they've been furloughed, whether they've been made uh, redundant, whether they're losing their business. But, you know, these people that are suddenly finding themselves in a situation where they're not working and we need to understand what the impact on them is now and in the long term. And then we've got, as I say, our kind of frontline workers. So our NHS, our social care and our emergency services workers. And then we've got all other key workers. So there's a lot of groups there that we need to think about and and think about actually what the impact might be on them. And I guess a lot of the conversation, understandably, is how do we support those people as we've been going into lockdown and while people are in that Mm. situation? But we, what we're seeing in our sort of mind and coronavirus survey is this real anxiousness about people returning to work um, and returning to what they're not sure will be the new normal. Um, and there's various reasons for that, you know, mm. feeling anxious about the fact that they still might catch the virus. Um, there are people feeling anxious about the amount of time that they've spent isolated and then suddenly going back into an environment where there's lots of people. You know, I think as a as a nation, you know, we we there are many, many people feeling anxious at this current time. But we have to recognise mm. that there are also people with existing mental health problems and people that, you know, that experience anxiety. And this has heightened that anxiety. So there, there, there is so much that we need to think about in terms of, um, you know, all of these different groups and what the impact is going to be. And I think the, mm. the reality is, is that we don't necessarily know all of the answers. But I think that what employers need to be doing more than ever at the moment is talking to their staff, you know, finding out, you know, what people's concerns mm-hmm. are, what people's worries are, you know, particularly as we start to go into that return to work um, phase. People need to be having conversations with individuals about, you know, how they're feeling, the impact on them. Uh, employers need to be thinking about a phase approach and, and what wraps around all of that is the communication, you know, why are people returning? You know, some people might be returning, some might not. And so that communication as to why an organisation is taking a particular approach is going to be so vital at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, mm. you know, I think I think it's fair to say that, you know, we've, we found ourselves in a situation where, I guess, as a collective, we've all been feeling anxious about um, this this thing that's felt like a very unknown. Um, but I think, as I go back to my point before, I do think we have a real opportunity here for employers to think about, you know, well, what are the things that we implemented during this time to really help our staff mental health and well-being? And how do we continue that when we go back to whatever the new normal looks like? Um, how do we how do we continue that? And, you know, I liken it to um, resilience. You know, we talk about resilience. Um, in, uh, there are lots of people that don't like that word uh, because it feels like it puts onus on the individual, which I completely understand. But, you know, some people talk about resilience as, as bouncing back. And at Mind, we don't talk about it as bouncing back. 
because actually what we recognize is when you go through some really difficult things in life um, you learn from those experiences and actually that can help enhance your resilience and and you learn from what you did during that time to help you if you face those kind of situations going forward and that's how I want to think about this scenario and, and employers to really think about what's What's the good stuff that they did during this period and how can they continue to do that going forward? Absolutely. Um, and wellness at work is such a huge topic, particularly now, um, as you mentioned, a lot of people are feeling anxious about returning to work. And I know there's an awful lot of conversations going on in the workplace industry about how do we make our workplaces safe so that people have the confidence they need to come back into the office. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of conversations going on about um, how can they make it clean and yeah. change the way the offices are laid out to enable people to come in and move around without feeling um, upset or worried about suddenly coming face to face with somebody and yeah. <laughs> what you do in that situation. Um, so there's a, there's a, a lot of thought going into that. Um, and in terms of um, for those companies who want to improve their office culture yeah. and they want to become more open and supportive of their teams um, now particularly uh, but also in a broader sense uh, where should they start and what initial steps should they take to make positive changes in the workplace? Yeah so at Mind we talk about three buckets um, we talk about how you promote well-being for everybody so as an employer you should be thinking about the things that you do that promotes good mental health for everybody within your organization so if you think about that bucket mm -hmm. what do you do to kind of raise awareness about mental health you know what kind of things that you do put in place to support people to be well so for example the right to bike schemes the employee assistance programs you know what kind of things do you support um, your employees with in terms of well-being so there's a whole thing around promoting well-being for everybody so I would encourage all employers to be thinking about that and then you've got the next bucket which is um how do you support people that are experiencing mental health problems? Because you will have people within your organisation who experience mental health problems. So what support and tailored support do you have for those individuals should they need it? And then the third bucket, which for me is, is so important, it's about understanding the things in your organisation that drive poor mental health. So, you know, we, we talk a lot and, and, you know, there's lots of conversations for many years around employers rolling out you know training doing awareness days you know doing some really brilliant initiatives that are all really really important but actually the conversation started to fit mm. pre-COVID-19 slightly um towards that's all that's all very well but actually what are employers doing to really fundamentally change the way that we design work so that that isn't causing people to have mm -hmm. poor mental health work. And I kind of use the example of, you know, mm. health and safety. We've been speaking about health and safety for many, many years now. But really, we've been talking about safety. And actually, you know, if, if a, a hole was to appear on the floor in your office and an employee fell down it and broke their leg, an employee would do everything they possibly could to make sure that nobody else fell down that hole. You know, it would be covered off, it would be protected, there'd be signs, there'd be warnings. And that shouldn't be any different to mental health. You know, if there is something that is happening in your organisation mm -hmm. that is causing people to be unwell, then that needs to be looked at and that needs to be addressed. So it's really important mm -hmm. that employers look at those three buckets. Um, and the, the first step that they can take is to look at something called the Mental Health at Work Commitment. And the Mental Health at Work Commitment is a set of six standards 
that we uh, we recommend that all employers sign up to as a bare minimum to support the mental health and well-being of their staff. And you can find the mental health at work commitment on something called the Mental Health at Work website, um, which, as I said, is the first stop for anybody that wants to know anything about workplace mental health. But that is a really good starting point for employers to kind of start to develop a bit of a roadmap about how they can support staff mental health and well-being. Um, it's important to say that that mm-hmm. commitment was launched at the end of last year and it was pre-COVID, um, but we but all of it still applies because we can't forget that those fundamental issues and drivers were there pre-COVID-19 and they will still be there when people return to work. So they need to be tackled. But then also what people need to do is look at what they've learned through COVID-19 that can really enhance the support that they provide to employees. And in terms of office design, mm. uh, what type of physical attributes can support our mental health at work? For example, um, you mentioned earlier that getting out and enjoying um, exercise and being in the outdoors um, in the sunshine, that can help enormously. So how important is it to have attributes such as natural light or views of nature or places to get out and walk? Um, how important is that when designing workplaces? Yeah, it's so it's so important. Um, our physical environment really, really does have an impact on how we feel. And it also has an impact on whether we feel valued or not. Um, you know, knowing that your employer wants to kind of invest in the kind of environment that you need to spend so much of your time in. Um, yeah, it, it really does kind of, I think, make people feel uh, valued or not so valued um so all of the things that you've mentioned there sort of natural light is is so important um unfortunately we can't all have views of nature particularly if you work in london um you're, you're less likely to get those views um but why not put some really nice pictures up on your desk you know why not you know why not have a nice wall in the office that actually has some really nice pictures of nature so that actually you're like, you might not be able to get out of your window, but you can go to that wall and look at those pictures. Um, you know, I think having places to walk again, you know, a lot of that is determined on where your office is. Um, but absolutely, employers mm-hmm. should be providing adequate breakout areas and not just breakout areas for kind of lunch. But um, at Mind, we have what we call quiet rooms. So people can go in there and spend a bit of time on their own and you can just put a sign on the door if you just need a bit of time out. Uh, you know, we recognise at the work we do mm-hmm. that we um, are sometimes having really difficult conversations and hearing some difficult things. So, you know, we have a breakout room and particularly if you want to have a conversation with someone about how they're feeling, because you don't really want to be doing that in the middle of a kitchen when everybody's coming in and out making their tea. So those breakout rooms for for conversation are are really important. And I think another thing Mm -hmm. to to mention is that we know that many, many more organisations are starting to, you know, hot desk and sort of change their way of working um, in terms of people not having like fixed desks themselves. Um, and you know we've we mm-hmm. we apply that in mind as well. So I think it's really important where organisations are sort of going towards that way of working that there are really clear policies around that. There's really uh, clear practical advice. Um, you know, even before COVID nineteen, making sure that there was um, proper cleaning equipment so that people felt like you know they were coming to clean desks. Um, in the morning so just making sure that if you are going uh, to go towards that kind of from the hot desk way of working that you're really clear with people what that means Um, because for so many years we were all used to having our own desk and we could decorate it how we wanted and and have the things that we wanted there so 
So I think, yeah, that, that's mm. really important. Um, and the only other thing that I would say is actually there's a lot of evidence to suggest that plants um, can have a really positive impact on people's mental health and well-being. So if you're able to get some lovely plants in your office, then that's highly recommended. Absolutely. And I love the idea of a timeout room. That's fantastic. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> and maybe a nap room as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm sure people should um, go in a nap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame them. And one of the things that uh, I've learned during this conversation with you, Faye, is that it's really important to talk. That's that's one of the most important things to, to help get the conversation going. Um, and actually something that we've seen in the in the flexible workplace industry is that the popularity of co-working has mm. soared in recent years. And a, a lot of that is to do with the communities that are formed within them. And I just wanted to know in your experience, uh, what role do you think workplace communities play in helping people um, overcome feelings of loneliness and isolation in their day to day lives? I think it plays a huge part. You know, if you if you think about the amount of time that we spend in work, um, you know, and the connections that we make at work, they're often so much more than just, you know, you're working with a colleague. People form friendships at work. You know, for a lot of people, it's where they have quite a lot of their social interactions. Um, And so that sense of community in a workplace for, for a lot of people is really important and you know and I think we're hearing from employees and employers at the moment that's been the thing that's hit people the most uh, particularly those staff you know that might be on furlough uh, feeling like that lack of connection Um, and we're really encouraging any employer who has staff on furlough to make sure that those staff still feel connected to the organisation and where those social interactions are happening remotely make sure that they're still included in those so community plays a really a really really key part and one of the the things that we talk about is the five ways to well-being um so the new economics foundation did some research that showed that there are kind of five ways to well-being and one of those is connection connection is so important in terms of making sure that we're looking after our mental health and well-being so I think during this time where we are all kind of working remotely and away from each other, it's really important that employers are putting in time and space in the diary. And it shouldn't it shouldn't be at the end of the day or an add on to the the end of the working day. It should be part of the working day where staff can get get together Mm -hmm. and have that connection with each other. Um, I think we need to recognise that mm. some people, you know, that sense of community doesn't mean doesn't have to mean large groups. Uh, some people find that quite difficult. So, you know, you can have a community of two people, you know, two people providing each other peer support. So it's really important to kind of think about what what works for each individual. Um, and then mind have, you know, uh, sites like uh, Ellie Friends, which is a peer support community that people can join up to if they're they're feeling mm-hmm. unwell or they want to kind of chat to other people about their experiences and how they're feeling. So, yeah, I mean, community is is a really big one, um, and I think that more than ever, employers need to be really inventive about how they're building those communities during this time. Fantastic, and. Last question, because I know you're very busy. I don't want to keep you any longer. (laughs) But um, just looking ahead, we know that wellness plays an absolutely massive role in the future of work. So in in your view, Faye, what's next for mental health in the workplace and what changes do you see coming in the future? So I think that the future of mental health at work is that it is going to become more of a strategic priority for businesses. I think more and more we are going to see this as a boardroom issue. Um, we knew 
as I say, pre-COVID, that there was already a huge business case uh, for employers prioritizing mental mm-hmm. health at work. So, you know, if you if you kind of take away the human side of it, which is the most important side, you know, it's very clear that there is a business case and a case for ensuring that you prioritize mental health work to um, to make sure that you have the most productive workforce. But actually, when you bring the human element in it, it's the right thing to do. And actually, if you have a happy, committed workforce, then that workforce are only going to be more committed to you as a, an employer. So I do think that the future mm-hmm. will see more employers um, take this on as a strategic priority. And I think the conversation will move from what are the kind of uh, uh, activities and interventions that we can kind of put in and, and sort of put into the organisation, maybe as a bit of a tick box, maybe to sort of do this half-heartedly, but it will become actually what do we need to fundamentally change to make work a better place uh, for our employees and for the people that, that come to work for us. So I think that we're going to, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm I'm always a positive person and I, and I think that COVID-19 is, is going to give us a bit of a catalyst to provide an opportunity for more employers to kind of get on this journey. Uh, we already started to see some brilliant employers starting to kind of really embrace this. Um, but I think we're now in a position where we're going to see more. Um, and I think we're also going to see um, a lot more, uh, uh, demand is probably the wrong word, but a lot more sort of young people coming into workplaces expecting um, that that workplace provides good mental health and well-being support. Um, so actually, it becomes you know, a bit of a kind of competitive advantage for employee uh, employers, sorry, to make sure that they are doing this and they're doing this well. So we're starting to see more link up between universities and workplaces and and, and how they can think about this. But you know, I, I think it's going to be positive. I think um, I'm optimistic that we're going to see some good changes come out of this. Fantastic. I agree. And. Ending on a positive note is is even better. So I just want to say thank you very much, Faye. It's been really good to talk to you. Um, And I also wanted to ask you one last time, can you tell us about those web links where people can go to find out more about Mind um, and the resources that you mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you uh, two links. So one is the Mind Coronavirus Hub, which is www.mind.org.uk forward slash coronavirus. Um, but you can also go on to the Mental okay. Health at Work website, which is specifically around workplaces. And that's www.mentalhealthatwork.org.uk forward slash coronavirus. OK, fantastic. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you on the on the podcast again yeah. soon. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Faye. Have a good week. Bye bye. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?